This is Art Unleashed with me, Jonathan Munro. I've been an admirer of my next guest's work for some time. I think the ideas he's exploring is extremely pertinent and important to examining our modern way of life. Fabio Latanzi Antonori's work is both digital as well as physical, building in sculptures, interactive installations, printmaking, using sound, coding, and making custom-made electronics. In his work, he looks at data, analytics, and the issues surrounding black box computing. Just a quick note about the episode. This was recorded at the end of 2019. It was pretty cold and dreary month, so you might notice we are both fighting a few sniffles. Also, listen out for my renaming of a well-known whistleblower. This is part one of my interview with Fabio Latanzi Antonori. Part two will be out next Friday. If you're not familiar with his work, do check out his website. The link is in the show notes. Okay, let's get into the interview. Welcome, Fabio. Thank you for coming on the show. Hello, Jonathan, and thank you for having me. Excellent. And uh, we're just going to start with... um, getting an idea of the type of work that you you have been doing the last few years. So for those in our audience that are not familiar with your practice, if you wouldn't mind sharing uh, the last few pieces you've been working on. Of course. Um, yeah, my practice is probably like something uh, in between like sculpture, um, printmaking and sound, as you actually very kindly introduced me. Um, I sometimes use interaction to bring like um, the pieces to life. And I think the way that I usually sum it up um, is that um, everything I do is pretty much inspired by data or it contains data. So I think at the end of the day, what I do is try and give um, data some physical level, some physical representation. And this tends to um, usually uh, take the form uh, of, a, of a three-dimensional object. So in this like sculpture and installation. And then sometimes is uh, more like in, in, in pre-making. So a piece that I recently um, developed for the Petak Tikva Museum of Art in Tel Aviv um, for a show curated by Noah Benacher, which is actually still on at the museum. It's gonna, it's gonna end at the end of the month on the twenty eighth of December, and the piece is called a "Temporary Enslaved Gods," and what it is, it's um, three sculptures in aluminium. Actually, those ones were uh, three sculptures in steel, in painted steel, and they are each one of them has a panel of uh, uh, screen printed paper and the paper is interactive. So every time the audience touches one of the sculptures, they come to life. And what they do, they start talking to one another. So what what actually happens behind the scenes is that there are three different AI models. And uh, the type of which you would normally call uh, a conversational agent. Think of uh, Siri or uh, Alexa or the Google one. Does he have a name, Google? Uh, I think... Uh, actually, I don't remember. We'll have to... Uh, we'll Was Google it? that later. <laughs> Ba-boom. Yeah, Google. And Cortana also. Oh, yeah. And um, they are usually... You know that they usually are... Obviously, you know all these things. But they're usually trained on a large um, uh, series of conversations between human-to-human conversations. And this is to um, let them learn about the way that language works. 
and normally um, people would use uh, rather huge databases from uh, movie scripts, books, uh, theatre and uh, interviews. Indeed, many of these are actually uh, taken from like in journalistic interviews. And what I instead uh, did, um, actually what I asked uh, my collaborator, um, an amazing uh, uh, AI developer in Montreal, Canada, to do, is to um, train these systems on a different type of conversations. So we used the last five years of US Congress, Congress hearings. So um, uh, Every time Amazon and Google and Facebook had to show up in front of the Congress in the US and answer the questions from the congressmen, from the senators, um, these answers and questions are being recorded. So we use those transcripts to actually train these models. And the idea is that because we don't actually know whether these huge uh, digital colossus companies are trying to do their best to build a better world for us or they actually only looking after the profit and we don't know this because we don't actually know the way that they go about things we don't know it because we don't know how their algorithms the power the systems that we normally use every day are organized we don't do it because they are protected by IP the only way that we could know it we I thought could be to imagine a sort of a confession a moment where these companies, their CEOs, they actually had to confess what their true intentions are. <laughs> Problem is that the questions that were asked Mark Zuckerberg and the others weren't really, I don't want to say relevant, but not so focused. I mean, up until yeah. I was working then, things changed, especially in the last couple of months, in um, October, November, especially for Mark Zuckerberg. Was that the, um, what was that for exactly? Uh, the the trial where he went up against the hearings it was um, the Democrat uh, governor wasn't it where she was um, grilling him basically exactly um, about how it works um, do you mind if I just ask um, uh, as, as you were explaining and obviously I'm quite familiar with the work I've known you for some time um, I was thinking about um, the complexity here because everything we're talking about here is incredibly complex and as well as the systems itself is complex. I just wonder if there's a way, um, obviously we're talking about what a piece of physical work. Um, could you explain um, what the aim is for the audience that they get out of it once they're actually in the room with the work? Mm -hmm. um, like th thinking of it from a different angle necessarily. Um, yeah, what's your focus on that? Um, I think from the point of view of the audience, for as much as I can um, imagine it, uh, not being obviously the audience, yeah. um, you have like a, a range of um, possibilities. You can experience just the most basic level. You probably walk in front of the artwork if you don't even know that the artwork is interactive and you're supposed to touch it. You probably won't. Because normally we are being educated not to touch any artwork yeah. in museums and galleries. So that is something that already um, happens to be a territory of negotiation with the museum itself, whereby they sometimes want to put like signs that warn the audience that the pieces are meant to be interacted with. And I don't necessarily want big signs, obviously you can write in the captions, but I don't necessarily want people to be 
invited to interact. They sort of have to know, be informed, but then they have to do it by themselves, not necessarily being invited. Yeah. I'm saying this because sometimes I've been in, in some occasions where like curators from the actual museums would sort of uh, invite the people to come in and test and try, sorry, the artwork, which is fair enough. I can see the point of view of the museum, but I feel that it takes something away from the old weird experience of yeah. having to, to decide now whether or not you want to do it. Then once you, they touch the artwork, the first experience I think they have, <clears throat> excuse me, is just um, voices out of uh, paper. And because the, the speakers in this case, like in many of my artworks, are mainly concealed, you can still see them, they're not hidden, but they're not really in the, fore, in the foreground, like they're not in front of the artwork, they usually are sort of hidden behind. So you can tell that there is something digital going on, but once you touch the paper and then you hear these voices, there is a moment of sort of magic, because you don't know what is actually happening. And then I see many people not really believing that the paper was paper. And they started thinking there must be some kind of sensor somewhere. And they are sensors, but they tend to be usually, I use screen print to use conductive paint on top of non-conductive medium, such as in this case, an inert medium like paper. Just to give you this idea of a weird thing that might happen. And then at that point, if the audience... Well, you can, I suppose in this piece you can still get something else out of it because like these AI models they tend to talk a lot about uh, data privacy and they tend to use basically they, they learn to speak out of those transcripts so there is the, the language tends to be quite like um, high end it's like it's language spoken by lawyers and and by congressmen but sometimes it's also very trivial very very also almost violent <laughs> And because they don't have, you don't have any control over these machines, uh, you haven't talking about very random things. So I suppose when you are the audience, if you touch them long enough, you can realize that there is a conversation that it's taking place between the three different pieces. Because if you touch one, one will respond, will, will, will say something, and majority of times the other two will answer back. So you, you see that there is a sort of a, you will find yourself, or the hope is that you will find yourself in a, in on a stage where there's some actors talking to one another, or at least talking to you. And then obviously, if you read the caption of the artwork, you can complete the pieces of the puzzle, and you can start going on in in this world of, say, like why why are these these voices talking about data privacy? Oh, they're using transcript uh, the transcript of the Congress hearings of Facebook so I can see how this relates to what they're actually talking about but because the AI models uh, evolve individually and independently from the act of being touched and over time they might be using that as a starting point but landing on something completely random completely different so just so uh, I understand as well, uh, when you talk about the AI models uh, developing through the, the actual um, exhibition, does that mean there's, it's live and there's data being fed in and out? Like, um... Um, it's live to a certain extent, because when uh, the models were trained, they were trained like, um, uh, well, basically, long story short, no. 
as in they it it's kind of performative already happened in the past I see. but it happened on a on a on a time scale timeline and then the timeline was repeated so the only thing that happens online is that anything that is being said it's also being recorded but mainly it's been uh, sort of saved and then sent over to another AI and this AI is the famous Watson AI from IBM uh, the one that mm, won against every human champion and everything chess go and, go, yeah, yeah. and so on and um, but mm, I, I had no affiliation with what with IBM whatsoever I only use Watson because it's the only it's the most famous piece of AI that it's normally used to create uh, um, let's say personality profiles of consumers or anyway let's say individuals and because of this it's also many times used in it, for, for marketing reasons to try and, and find out what people might be interested in to purchase next year and so on and Watson uses these words he uses the dialogue between the three AIs to try and assess him the way that a psychiatrist would do so every mm, every two and a half weeks depending it returns it just creates a, mm, a diagram and he assesses like the three different sculptures on a large scale of different uh, emotions emotions that the AI models might, might feel in theory or might be developing actually and the personality that they are developing and I was asked to concentrate mainly on on the um, uh, emotionality the, the capability of displaying emotions okay and the ability of working in a team and the level of selfishness. So these parameters that you've set in place, or yes, yeah, yeah. So you well, make a decision about um, um, what the criteria is, what it's going to focus on, and uh, yes. Well, you, it's actually much easier than that. You only submit, you just send Watson, uh, well, in, so to speak, a piece of text, mm -hmm. and the system um, gives like a, builds up a personality profile of you, or or in this case of an AI, except that Watson in this case doesn't know that it's analyzing an AI model. It thinks, so to speak, that it's analyzing a human being. And this uh, rather baroque system of layers of, of AI models talking to AI models, learning from confessions, it's made so convoluted just to, to sort of hide whatever it is that um, that one thinks can can find out. I sort of create a labyrinth out of which there is no way out. You can find your own way out in a way. You can look at this system as a model where humans talk to AIs, but there is no really um, a, a j'accuse, there is no political point of view, there is nowhere I want the audience to go to. I just want to create a place where they can sort of have the impression that something is going on. So um, obviously, discussions around AI is uh, is a hot topic and has been for the last five years or so. And I think um, there's a lot of problems uh, uh, developing AI systems in the past. But now there's some new technologies out there, isn't there? That's been developed: neural networks. Um, what's the uh, the Google one recently? I think is um, DeepMind. Um, Deep well, yeah, yeah, yeah. The DeepMind is one of them. But all these are very. Um, I think. Uh, it'd be interesting to hear a bit more what you said about the labyrinth because um, uh, personally I have looked into these things as well and uh, 
it is a labyrinth like it feels like uh, you put data in something happens in the middle which is the black box part of like, is it deep mind and then the outputs are different so the um it's like a training algorithms and things like that isn't there oh i don't i don't actually know what happens for watson in the case of the um, models that uh, we build so to speak we use like just um, let's say off the shelf libraries yeah. not the open ai ones for at the time I was working on something else. But yeah, just our off-the-shelf libraries. And those ones are pretty much open to some extent. So you can kind of see how, if you are obviously a coder or somebody who can make sense out of code, you can sort of realize what's going on. But in the case of Watson, no, because it's protected by IEP. So I don't actually know what it does. Yeah. And from what I'm telling you, there could be like somebody there who sends me like um now I don't remember like 500 words for each one of these AI models every once in a while and then what you do you specify the parameters which you want and so you exclude the parameters that you don't necessarily want to talk about so level of uh, aggressiveness or um, uh, the ability of being team players and so on they are just displayed with values which you can map and you can build a simple diagram. That is probably, and we kept, um, together with uh, the curator, we decided to keep that as a live streaming type of um, piece, that it's positioned behind the sculptures. So once you, once you play around with the sculptures, then you can go in the back and look at this monitor. The monitor is connected online, and he returns a real-time what Watson has come up with. So, in regards to the audience again, like, um, is it important for you that they understand that that they take away from y your work, uh, or, th or if we take this piece of work as one example, um, what is it that you expect them to to kind of come back from? Uh, not expect, maybe is the wrong word. Sorry, but um, it to me it feels a little bit like uh, um. A lot of these tech companies are using these types of tools and they're building it like the the example used for the um, profiling people and uh, that's been used in business a lot or for companies to develop um, you know if you have a, a dating profile and if you shop in a supermarket who uh, has like a points-based system card and then you also shop on Amazon online and all these things added together they create these huge um, profiles of us um, is it important for you in your work to be kind of um, having a dialogue with that or understanding it or is it more to kind of show the ridiculousness of some of these things or um... it, there's definitely a, a component of I, I like to have always something ridiculous going on mm, and I, I think that is <clears throat> excuse me mainly to convey some irony linked to the way that to, to the different topics that I'm touching upon. I think rather than um, wanting like the audience to bring some to take something back, it's more that of um, leaving everybody with like open questions and then everybody can bring something back. I, I would love for the pieces that I, that I build to be able to be as universal as possible. And I think one way of doing it is to make it not necessarily uh, cryptic and extremely difficult to, 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 to understand, but mainly like rather elaborate, 
Because I, I feel that um, digital technology, despite being uh, based on some type of a logic, very, very logical system, I find it, I find it rather baroque. Because I find that it has a lot of uh, corollaries, additions, plugins and things and redundancies that make the whole system rather like... Um, yeah, manieristic, can you say that in English? Which is this idea of uh, decorating for the idea of decoration and not for yeah, yeah. any functional meaning. It's already like mirroring the physical reality into the digital reality and it's creating another reality out of it which then looks back and reflects onto the physical reality. And I find that this creates this weird dialogue that it's extremely complex to make sense of and and so what I like to do is just to create these sort of little games I would assume where you just give some ingredients and then the audience completes the other part either by in this case of this artwork touching it and bringing it to life but also just by being there and offering like the moment of interaction of decode, decoding the artwork this is Art Unleashed, and I'm interrupting the interview to quickly ask if you're enjoying the episode and you think other people find this interesting, please think about sharing it, liking it, or even writing a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. It helps gain a bigger audience and it will make sure I'll be able to build the podcast up to a sustainable project. Now I've got that out of the way, let's get back to the interview. It's an interesting um, uh, thing to ask your audience to actively touch your work. And I have seen it uh, quite a few times in different ways where people uh, stroke it or um, are very timid and maybe won't even put their hand out or they have to be shown. Um, personally, I'm very interested in works that um, engage with the audience in any different way than a, a static observational um, thing. Um, why is it important for you for the audience to be brought in like that? I suppose, like the 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 like the, the pieces started out with this idea of um, touching paper, and I think that was pretty much just a coincidence because I was coming from works on paper, and I wanted to add a digital level to it, and so the first surface that I was asking people to touch, the first artwork that I made was um, that touching. Actually, no, it was Tyvek. <laughs> the first piece I made in collaboration with Bear Conductive, um, which is like the designers who created m much of the technology that I use, in this case the Bear um, touchboard and the, and the paint. And then with, um, back then with designer Alice Pitelewska, for a, that was a commission for the Mac Museum. But I think then after that I kept working um, like alone on these pieces and I always worked on paper and I think the reason why I did it is because I wanted to oh that I realized perhaps that I think could be the reason why I did it is because I wanted something so something like paper to um, become to convey the to, to represent the physicality of the invisible data so um, I was born in Italy and they're like, when you're born in Italy, usually you're Catholic by definition. When you're born in Rome, you're Catholic by definition. And probably that's why these things stuck with me all this time. I'm not Catholic myself. 
But there's this old I idea. I think if you're born Catholic, you're always Catholic, aren't you? Is oh that? my God. <laughs> <laughs> it's just in your blood, isn't it? <laughs> so I won't be able to yeah, feel guilty forever. But that's a good point. Um, like this, this old idea of um, touching in order to make sure that something is real. So you have this, you know, the old story of St. Thomas who had to touch Jesus to make sure that Jesus was just not like, um, and you say like an illusion, but he was there with his body. And there is also something else that is very old way of saying that um, translated into English sounds like um, the paper sings or paper is singing, which means if something is real, and it's probably a metaphor for money, if something is real, uh, it will be made out of paper and it will sing. Obviously, what I've been buildings like singing singers yeah, literally well you have literally made work this indeed yeah opera singers and uh, and obviously also it's a document yeah. you know paper is one of the not one of the first definitely but when whenever we think at, about we, we think of documents we still are at least my generation still has this idea that a document is something that comes out of paper with the reality it's something that happened only during the Industrial Revolution in England, but finally the cost of making paper and printing it was like became very, very cheap all of a sudden. But we still had this idea that a document is something made out of paper, a contract is made out of paper. And to me, a piece of paper in itself, even if it's a screen print and it represents a diagram or something, becomes a document which then gets soaked with data, which can only be retrieved through touch, which is this idea of winning, going that, against. That's an interesting concept, considering data's been removed from uh, the physical, isn't it? Like uh, um, text, uh, before we used to obviously write down uh, uh, banking and everything was done on paper eventually, and then uh, now it's almost unheard of, I think. we don't. I personally don't even own a checkbook anymore, all my financial stuff. I pretty much always use my bank card now, um, instead of cash, mostly. Um, is that important do you think that we um, um, question like the open questions you referred to earlier with your um, audience that we question the uh, the tools the technologies everything we're using now is it important do you think I think so I think so I don't think there is a there is a there is a way out or a way through yeah because uh, it's pervasive, isn't it? It's Hats, it's, yes. it's huge, and it's the scale, and um, I mean... Absolutely. I, th I think, if anything, like, the problem that we have at the moment is that, not that we have Google, Facebook, Amazon, and so on, I use each one of these systems quite a lot. Now, I'm trying to use, I have to confess, I try to use, for my personal things, I try to use Firefox, Mozilla, and been using DuckDuckGo, and some of these systems, but mainly at the moment, I'm... I'm trying to really be like you know to, you go through stages don't you i yeah, do personally but. i do i do but then for work whenever i have to get to something i i google stuff so there we are i think the problem is like we only have these tools and not much to choose from which is almost unheard of, is this kind of monopoly and i'm not saying oh there's a monopoly Ooh, scary i'm just saying it's definitely there's definitely something else going on because every time there is one of these situations and which might change in the future, why not? 
many things have changed that people thought that they weren't going to change. Like Lehman Brothers was the the, the company that was thought to be too big to fail, which yet failed big way in 2008. And so there will definitely be something at some point which will replace some or even each one of these giants. But for now we are in this situation where we definitely get a... Our, our life has become increasingly easier and probably better from some points of view also our life, the life of those who can actually use it. <laughs> what I find... Sorry to interrupt. No, no, go on. Um, what I find interesting as well, like when we go back to the congressional hearings, uh, the interviewing and the fact that a lot of, well, hardly any of us really know what's going on with these tools and the IP issues as well, where like, for example, Watson, hmm. um, I think that's one of the biggest problems, isn't it? Is that, um, well, what do you think? Do, do you think uh, there needs to be more done so it's more an open, there needs to be more openness, these tools? What Do you think that's important? I... Yeah, and at the same time I can see why that is the problem, because obviously not letting your competition know the type of discoveries you're making, the tools you're using to create these black boxes type of technologies, they allow you to have, to obviously be ahead in the game of the others. But at the same time, Ultimately, from our point of view, not knowing the way that we are being profiled, like you were saying, when we were talking about Watson, we know what it's kind of being used, but we don't actually see everything that is going on. We don't see the extent to which, like this, the, the, the complexity of the different interrelated technologies will take us to. So some of us might have realized, obviously many of us have realized already that online tracking behavior have um, been following us for quite a long time because it's an easy thing to say, oh look, look, I was looking for a hairdryer to buy and now I'm on Facebook or I'm reading The Guardian and I am presented with like a pop-up uh, piece of ad that is trying to sell me uh, like the same hairdryer that I wanted to buy 20 minutes ago. So there clearly is something going on. Or I'm whistling a song and I have the impression that my phone is eavesdropping on me because then when I put on my Spotify, that is the song that comes up. Doesn't happen every time, but I've heard are... of I've heard of a few people saying they've had conversations with their Alexa devices in the room. Um, you know, they're with their partner or a friend and uh, they're talking about something like a hairdryer, taking your example, and then the next time they're on the internet, yeah, they see hairdryers. And I think that is... Um, I think the worrying thing of all of this um, is because we know it's possible and we know that people will do it, isn't it? The tools are there. Yeah. And they're capable. It's just like... I, do, do you not think it's a shame that we're not having more uh, more of these conversations? For example, recently I was reading again about what happened with the was it the um, James uh, is it James Snowden? Yeah. Um, uh, GCHQ and then uh, the Prism uh, thing in the US as well, where they were spying on everyone, they could hear everything, and then there was a little bit of like talk about it at the time. That was 2013, I think. And then now we've got we're in a situation where no one talks about it. That we're literally every single conversation on 
our phones, everywhere else is um, recorded. Is that um, does that worry you? Uh, a lot. <laughs> that pe- that pe- yeah, well, I, I'm assuming it does, but it does, it does. But like you were saying, it's a type of technology that it's so pervasive that there are things that we can do probably to try and minimize the risk of being tapped continuously and recorded and but then the level that we need to change well we need to change our ways of doing and using this piece of technology so much that it's uh it, it it's tough <laughs> and probably just like i think just like when before installing an application do you actually read like all the extremely long and extremely hard to understand because of the lingo that is being used uh, piece of documents for the terms and conditions but then everybody goes for the same <laughs> everyone says this, the iTunes contract isn't yeah. it yeah and indeed actually this is something that um, it's funny enough uh, one of the lines that the three AI models were talking about while I was um, there installing the piece, was constantly going back to this whole idea that uh, there is data privacy, but at the end of the day, these people know what they were, what they were gonna have once they re- read or didn't read the terms and conditions. So the AI was actually making fun of it, which means that this is part of the congressional hearings that were used to train them, which means that it's already something that people have been talking about it. It's a um, it's uh yeah it's tough and i think what is important is just like you were saying to have more conversations about it to know that you're getting this uh that you can find like a, a cab that can take you to wherever you need to go to for probably less money than a normal cab in the case of london the black cab or like uber cheaper than a black cab thanks to a series of algorithms that allow the taxi driver too. Also, thanks to the fact that these companies sometimes don't pay the same amount of taxes that other companies pay, but anyway, that's a big file. But in exchange for that, you have to be prepared to know that you are not just giving the data, but to know what it is, what it means to give this data to these companies. And I think obviously there is a lot of work being done, and uh, both here in the UK and the US worldwide, where designers, artists, or engineers are trying to bring these problems up to the audience and make it, to make it not necessarily more palatable, but easier to understand. So there's different ways. Is that how you see your practice, in a sense? Do you place yourself in that category of... Um... I wish I knew how to do it. No, I, I feel like I, I position my practice more into this world where I try to create uh, a sort of... a representational model of the way that I think some 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 aspects of our society might work like the way that um, if you were like an architect you would I think it was Derrida who used to say this that I've been quoting like him so many times and I'm not sure that every time I said it was Derrida but this whole idea of this this um, a parallel with like the idea of being an architect that before building a building it builds a model out of it and to the best of her or his knowledge and and then can actually make it in a way that 
can see what happens by removing some of the elements of the building and replacing them with something else. I, I'm not as, I don't think I'm able to do that, but what I like to think of the things that I make is that they sort of become um, meta-realities themselves because they are imbued with elements of uh, mm, our society that are there to not just interact with other elements but also to be the symbols of what they mean. So recently I've, well I've always been very interested in language and my next pieces will all be pretty much inspired by language and the effects of digital technology or online advertising on human language. These are This is what I'm going to build probably for the next year. And so there you will have a database of Google AdWords, which are keywords that normally are provided to people um, that actually put on sale. Is this system offered by Google that it's based on the words that are thought to be the most relevant um, according to uh, geolocations or different uh, sectors of the internet that um, some people might be more interested in. So basically, if you have a company and you want to advertise the service or the product that you offer, you go, you will go to Google AdWords or many others, but usually Google AdWords is the one that has the largest chunk of this territory. And you would say, I'm a company, I do this, this and that, and I want to advertise my products and I want to advertise them to a target group of people of, uh, I don't know, between 18 and 35 years old, 55 male, 55 female, of a young affluent, blah, blah, blah. You give them all a series of uh, element parameters and then you get all this. Sometimes you don't even have to give them. You only need to, to let them know what you do and your postcode. And it's already finding the best ways to realize who are the people you should talk to. But it gives you, which is most important, lots of words that you should purchase. Which means every time somebody looks for one of these words, you will probably, if you win the auction that Google AdWords creates every time, with all the other people who want to advertise similar products or using the same keywords, you will have to pay for the click of a mouse of the person who finally clicks on your ad. But all these words are the words that were searched for by people. And the normal words could be anything, glass, water, podcast, your name, my name, and so on. And all the different interrelations that are being created make it so that, depending on how many times people are searching on these things, depending on the news, depending on what's happening, it's a little stock, not a little, it's quite huge, but it's a sort of stock exchange where instead of uh, uh, selling goods, you're selling words. And these words also determine or influence, create filters that associated with your personality, because each one of us is obviously screened on the internet, can sort of realize what it is that I will want to buy. So once I go and look for something, I will find something that Google in this case will have already prepared for me because I will probably be using Google as a as a key, as an online search platform. So I hope I made it like um, not as confusing as usually sounds like. No, no. Because it's, it's, quite, it's quite complex. 
But then I'm very fascinated to see, like, especially for a non-native speaker such as myself, uh, who has learned a lot from Google, like every time I need to understand how to spell one word or the meaning of one word, or in what context it uses, it, I always Google it. And then I get all these different results. Those results will inform the way that I will think about that word and express it in other occasions, like with other English-speaking people. And the fact that it, it, every, every one of these results is actually influenced by what I've been looking for in the past and only being used for the purpose of selling me something that I might be potentially interested in buying, creates this weird world where our language, a way of communicating, which we thought was super free, like internet, this old dream of a free a platform which would allow yeah. people, not from all, all the four corners of the world, to meet and talk, is actually filtered for the purpose of allowing you to get uh, to whatever you're looking for far more easily than than not if you weren't to use the same algorithms that Google has implemented a few years ago, which allow you to be profiled. Final cost, I think it's like you get this in exchange for advertising, which is a bit lame at the end of the day. And actually, when I was making my this piece that I'm developing now for the Royal Sculpture Society, the, the, the single object on sale that was uh, supposed to be most profitable, that you, everybody should I don't know, the, the single piece that was selling the most on the internet was a body vest for women. The type of body vests that kind of sort of shape your body. They so have a, it was the... What was it exactly, sorry? It's a vest for women to be uh, worn underneath their clothes. But what is it that people are searching for to receive? Oh, this is the most searched for and most sold piece of... Um, clothing or clothing, anything? Anything. Really? Back then, yeah. Oh. Odd. <laughs> it's odd, huh? And then you think, wow, so we figured about freedom, but in reality, we're being profiled. That's the end of part one. Next Friday, I'll be sharing part two, where we talk further about Fabio's work, his journey growing up in Rome, moving to London, and then dealing with a life-threatening diagnosis. Until next week, goodbye. <laughs>